Thanks, Barry, and thanks to our team this morning as they've led us through our uh, time together. It's been wonderful to uh, sing those beautiful songs and to uh, learn in prayer uh, this morning. David, thank you for that, uh, that lovely prayer as we focused on the, uh, the Word of God and the uh, wonderful uh, promises from His Word. Let's uh, come before Him now and just ask Him for His blessing to be upon this time as we come around His Word together. Father, we thank you this morning again for this new preaching series in uh, 2 Corinthians. Father, we pray for your blessing to be upon it, that uh, through this particular uh, letter of Paul, that you might uh, yeah, just um, challenge us in our own hearts, in our, our own uh, walks with you. And particularly, Lord, we pray especially for uh, just the anointing of your spirit this morning upon uh, us and upon uh, the uh, preaching of your word. May it go out with boldness, may it uh, accomplish that which you have called it to accomplish in our lives and may we be people who are prepared to uh, submit to you and to your uh, authority in our lives that you might be glorified in us and that we, Lord, might experience the fullness of joy in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I just prayed, we are commencing a new series this morning in uh, in Second Corinthians, a preaching series which is entitled... Widen your hearts. We are working there. No, we're not. All right. Well, uh, can you just check that, Pete? I'm not getting anything on here, mate. No, it's all right. Okay. All right, for those of you who are taking notes this morning, you'll just have to listen really, really closely. All right? Okay. Preaching series, this, as I said, is it's a series entitled Widen Your Hearts. And I wanted to uh, just uh, speak just briefly about wide heart. What is that? What are we talking about when we're speaking about widening our hearts? Thanks, mate. Oh, okay, we'll just leave that up there for the moment. All right. What am I talking about when we speak about wide hearts? Well, we're talking about the fact that, uh, that our, first of all, our hearts are very much open Okay, a wide heart is an open heart, very much open to, uh, to the, uh, the ways of God and to us walking in his ways, of, uh, of, of knowing what his ways are by uh, reading his word, but then us being prepared to submit ourselves to that, to, to, to submit ourselves to the ways of God and to be willing to walk in those under his authority. But it is also, a wide heart is also a heart that is open to the needs of others. As we look around us, there are many needs around about us, but it's a heart that is prepared to, to, uh, to meet those needs, to see them and to, to meet them, to allow God to use us in that purpose of meeting their needs, of bringing God's comfort to those around about us. Throughout this letter, we're going to discover that there are many experiences and situations in our lives that God calls us to indeed widen our hearts, that is to expand their scope, to expand their capability, to expand their capacity so that we will be a blessing to God and we will also be a blessing to others as we journey with them along uh, through life. All right. Normally Pete can do this down the back there and no one has any idea what he's doing. And of course he's right up in... Ah, there you go. All right, so you're just going to hook that up for me now? Awesome, mate. Thank you. So yes, so God is going to use all kinds of experiences. He's going to use all kinds of situations in order to widen our hearts. It is to expand their scope, expand their capacity so that we'll be this blessing to him and a blessing to those that we meet along life's journey. Charles Charles Spurgeon, the great English pastor and preacher, once said, Great hearts can only be made by great troubles. 
Great hearts can only be made by great troubles. I think one of the things that I've discovered as, uh, you know, in my, in, uh, my years of, particularly in years of pastoral ministry, but also in my years as, as walking with Jesus, that, uh, that many people I've encountered who I, what I would um, um, attribute to having wide hearts, people who have got these wide open hearts, are often those who experience this deep pain and hardship in their lives. You know, they've, uh, God has, has used these deep uh, times of, of trial and uh, of, of suffering and that sort of thing to mould them and shape them and to expand their hearts that they've got this incredible love and trust and faith in God, but also God is able to use them to bless the lives of those around about them. And so often we, uh, you know, we do everything possible to avoid hardship in our lives, don't we? To avoid that suffering, and, and when we find ourselves in such trials, then the uh, you know, we look for every conceivable way to sort of try to get out from under them as quickly as possible. I mean, you know, let's face it. I mean, who you know who really wants to experience difficulty in their lives? I mean, we don't, do we? We don't want to experience difficulty because suffering and pain aren't pleasant. It can make us miserable. It can rob us of our joy in our lives. It takes us takes away our happiness. We often, view, we often view suffering and hardship, affliction as an enemy of our lives. But is that really the case? For those who belong to the family of God, that is who are God's children, suffering and affliction can actually result in good. Paul speaks about this in Romans 8 where he says, All things can work, for, work together for good for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. No matter what kind of situation in our lives, no matter how deep, no matter how traumatic, no matter how hard, God is able to even bring good out of those situations for, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Those who are his children. Such experiences can be the tools used by God in order to widen our hearts. In these opening verses of 2 Corinthians 1, we discover why God is able to do that. And uh, we're going to see this morning that God's, pur- God's purpose in our suffering, the good purposes are first of all to reveal something to us about his character. Through suffering we learn something about God's character. Also through suffering God is going to use that to equip us for his service. We are equipped to minister for others. And thirdly, we're going to see that God uses suffering to point us to his absolute sufficiency, to get us to stop relying on ourselves but depend upon him more. So let's begin this morning as we uh, begin on this first point. In our suffering, we learn something about God's character. We see that particularly in verse 3 of our passage this morning. Paul begins and, and he ends this section of scripture with praise and thanks to God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And then at the end, he says, you know, as we, uh, as we pray, as, we, as God moves and works in people's lives, that many will actually give thanks to God on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. As we pray and God, you know, responds to those prayers and, uh, and he blesses and he brings his comfort and this, uh, this mercy into people's lives. It, all, it brings about a, 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 an attitude and a, a wonderful declaration of praise to God for the fact that he is indeed this God of mercy, this Father of mercies and this God of all comfort. I mean, the fact that Paul can actually begin and, uh, and, and end this particular section of Scripture with a, with, a, with a praise to God is quite remarkable, seeing as that the, one of the themes, one of the main themes of this passage is indeed suffering. 
In fact, just in these nine verses, we see this word suffering or, or words like it mentioned, nine, uh, mentioned eight times in these nine verses. Almost once every verse. Affliction. What Paul is talking about here, these afflictions that he's speaking about, he's talking about a great pressure, being, being weighed down by this incredible pressure, the pressures of life or a, or a pressure of, of illness or, a, or of depression or, or any of those kind of things that truly just come upon us and just we feel as though we're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. It's an intense distress that causes anguish. It speaks about harsh difficulties. And Paul says that, you know, in the midst of these kind of things, the aspect of God's character that, that Paul praises is that he is the father of mercies, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The fact that God is this merciful and compassionate God speaks of the fact that he's concerned, God is concerned and he is moved in his spirit by our suffering, by our situations, by our circumstances, God himself is moved. It's an image of Jesus as he comes to Jerusalem just towards the end of his public ministry before he uh, enters into Jerusalem in, uh, you know, in that wonderful uh, Palm Sunday procession, but then at the end of that week is crucified. Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he, and he stands and he looks over it from the Mount of Olives and, he, and, it, and it says that he's moved with compassion. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, how I would love to have gathered you, under my, you know, in my arms like, a, like a, a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. It's an incredible picture of the, the compassion and the mercy of God. How God is indeed moved right to his, the core of his very being by our predicaments in our lives. So we must never doubt that God does not see our situation and is not moved by it. Because sometimes we see, we, we, we think that, don't we? We think that, 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 that God is, is unmoved by what we're going through. But the fact that God is the God of mercy, the Father of mercy, the Father of compassion, really speaks to us this morning that God is indeed moved by it. Of course, God was moved so deeply by our greatest need and that we needed to be rescued from the consequences of our sin, to have our sins paid for, that we might indeed be, be taken out from under God's wrath and instead placed in this wonderful relationship with him. And so in being moved by our greatest need, he sent the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ to come and pay for our sins, to die that death on the cross and to rise again in conquering that death and sin. That's why Paul speaks about the fact that he is not just a father of mercies, but is indeed the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he sent his son. God is the father of mercy. It describes who he is. Describes what God is like. Describes his character. But not only does it describe what God is like, it actually points to God as the source of compassion, of mercy. That God is the Father, it means that God is the source, he's the originator of all compassion, of all mercy in this world today. In fact, these things derive their very existence from God. Without God, there is no mercy or compassion. 
I mean, the fact that we even see these kind of virtues in our world today points to the fact that, that this comes from God himself, that it is God's graciousness upon mankind that we have such things as mercy and compassion in our world today. It also reflects that, that, that corru- even that corrupted image of God within us as, as God's creators, as God's creatures, that we would be able to exhibit this mercy and compassion. God's grace is upon all. His mercy and compassion come only to us because of the fact that he himself is the source of these things. He is the father of mercies, but he's also the God of all comfort. That noun and verb form of this word comfort actually appears ten times in just these five verses, between verses three to seven, ten times. I think that need that what we need to recognise here is that there is, you know, this this whole aspect of of comfort actually outweighing the uh, these these afflictions. So ten times the word comfort, you know, only uh, eight times the uh, the term um, suffering or affliction or that sort of thing. You know, sort of just speaks volumes about the fact that God's mercies, His comfort, actually outweighs it far outweighs all of our sufferings, all of our hardships in our lives. He carries this idea of abundance, which is picked up in verse 5 of our passage this morning. He says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I want to make something very, very clear here this morning that Paul is speaking about in terms of this comfort, this, this compassion of God. He's speaking very much in the context of people who are actually suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The fact that they are indeed God's people. That as we live out our lives in obedience and trust in God, that we can expect these kind of sufferings, just as Jesus himself experienced great suffering in his life as he lived his life in obedience to God, as he carried out the purposes of God in his life. And as Jesus' followers, as his disciples, we too are to walk in his footsteps. And as we walk in his footsteps, we ourselves will experience suffering and hardship, particularly in light of the fact that we call Jesus Lord and Saviour. Paul himself, this, this, this whole letter of 2 Corinthians basically is a, almost a, a kind of an um, appeal of, of Paul to the Corinthian church, basically trying to, um, to um, prove to them his apostleship of God. There had come people into the church in Corinth that, that basically were saying that Paul, in fact, was a false apostle. They were preaching a different gospel. They were saying to the people that because Paul was experiencing these hardships and these difficulties in his life, meant that he wasn't, in fact, you know, God's appointed person at all. These, these hardships and difficulties actually proved that, that he was actually outside of God's plan and purposes. So what they were saying is that, you know, if we're in God's plan, if we're actually truly God's people, then we can expect, you know, that life will be all a bed of roses, that everything will go smoothly and go well. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the case. In fact, it's completely the opposite. 
And he says, so as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, as Christ's sufferings flow over to us, what does that mean? Well, it means basically this, that there is a solidarity between us and Jesus in regards to his sufferings. Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 that we are baptised into his death. We actually are associated with Christ in his death on the cross. As Christ was put to death on that cross, we ourselves are joined with him in that and been dying to sin. Paul goes on to speak about in Romans 8, 17 that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings. Paul is trying to link these, 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 this, the, our relationship with Christ with his sufferings, very much this solidarity. In Philippians 3, 10 to 11, Paul says that he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's not talking about a works righteousness here. He's not saying that, you know, the more I suffer, then, you know, then God's going to, you know, God's got to see that and, and he's actually going to, you know, give me salvation because of that. No, he's saying that as we are associated with Christ, as we are, as we are putting to death our sin and our, that, that way of, of living our lives apart from God. Paul is saying as we take that fellowship in sharing in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death, we will indeed attain to the resurrection of the dead. That we will indeed have eternal life. In 2 Corinthians 4, and we'll speak about this a, a little bit in more depth in a few weeks' time, he says that, that Paul carries around in his body the death of Jesus. See, Paul not only preached Christ crucified, Paul lived it. And as Jesus' followers, we too, our message is indeed Christ crucified for sin, risen and ascended to glory, but we too have got to live out that same kind of life that Christ lived. We cannot expect to be, you know, expect our lives to be different than Christ if we claim to be his followers. That we can expect hardship and suffering. And we can see it today, can't we, in our world, where we people who claim the name of Christ as we as we speak out, you know, on behalf of the word of God, the authority of the word of God, and the opposition and the persecution and things like that come on us from the world around about us. We can expect that, folks, and we can expect it more and more and more in our in our in our days as we continue to live on this earth. But God, but Paul is saying here, in the midst of that, we can expect this mercy and this comfort of God to come into our lives. Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily and follow him. As Jesus was despised and rejected by men, so we can expect the same. Just as Jesus endured the shame of the cross, we can expect as well to to endure the shame of being associated with the name of Jesus Christ. Just as the road that Jesus walked was marked with suffering, so it shall be for his followers. We should expect nothing less. However, just as the sufferings of Christ flow over to us in our lives, so God's comfort overflows to us as well. So through Christ's so it says, so we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. So through Christ, we will share abundantly in comfort too. 
Paul is saying that that God's comfort is more than adequate to meet our needs. That as every need arises, God's comfort and his mercy will actually overflow. It will flood over us. It will abundantly meet those needs and more so. Now, you might have going through your mind at the moment this word comfort and what that particularly means. You might be thinking about this kind of emotional relief and a sense of consoling in your life. That that's the kind of comfort we'll bring. Well, yeah, to a degree that's right. But more so what Paul is talking about here is a, is a comfort that carries a meaning of an encouragement and an exhortation. One commentator puts it like this. He says that... Um, Oh, that was the last point there. He's more than adequate to meet our needs. The comfort that Paul had in mind here in this passage has nothing to do with a languorous, that is a relaxed feeling of contentment. It is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pains, but instead it is a stiffening agent that fortifies one in their heart and in their mind and in their soul. That God's comfort strengthens weak knees. It sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. That's the kind of comfort that Paul is talking about here. Not one that sort of just kind of just gets alongside us and kind of just pats us on the head and says, oh, it'll be right. You'll be okay. But no, one that comes to us and gives us a sense of fortification in our hearts and in our spirits. One that stiffens our weak knees. One that that sustains our sagging spirits as we face the troubles of life. And we do it with unbending resolve and unending assurance. I love that ending phrase, don't you? Unbending resolve. Isn't that the kind of people we want to be in our world today as followers of Jesus Christ? We want to be people of God who have that unbending resolve in our hearts and in our spirits. Isn't that the kind of believers we want to be today? And to have that unending assurance that indeed God is the Father of all mercies and the the God of all comfort to us. How do we receive this comfort? Well, we receive it in several ways. The first is through God's ministry to our hearts, through his Holy Spirit. God will indeed, through his Spirit, actually help us, strengthen us in our own spirits. God himself will be our strength. God himself places the Holy Spirit within us to be our comforter and our helper, as Jesus speaks about in John's Gospel in in chapter 16 and 17. He says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit that he might be your comforter and your helper. God himself dwelling within us. That in in itself should literally just astound us this morning in our minds that God himself would come and take up residence within our lives, indwell us through his spirit to fortify us, to comfort us, to help us to live this life that he's called us to. God ministers to our hearts. He also does it through the comfort we receive through the reading of his word and meditating on his promises. 
That as we read the Word of God, as we, as we read the, the promises that are contained in that, and we read about the character of God, it, it reaffirms and reassures us in our hearts of, of who God is and what He's like. And those times where we doubt God, those times where we think that, that God isn't listening, that he seems so silent when it comes to our hardships and our sufferings in our lives, it is then we need to be driven back to the word of God and be reminded of the, the concrete facts of who God is and how he, how he works on our behalf. Because our feelings will always fool us. We cannot trust our feelings. We've got to keep coming back to the concrete word of God, the objective truths and facts of God, and being reminded in our hearts that this is what God is like. This is what God has promised, and I can confidently put my faith and trust and hope in him and know that he will not let me down, even though he remains silent, even though he, you know, he, he, we, he appears or he feels to us as though he's far away. He is not. He is near. We need to be getting back into the word of God, meditating on those promises. But another way we especially receive God's comfort is made clear in the next verse, in verse 4. It says that this verse makes it very clear that the comfort we receive from God in the midst of our afflictions and our sufferings, God intends for us to pass that on to others who are experiencing similar hardships in their lives. He says, Blessed be God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, in order that, there's a reason that God comforts us, so that we ourselves then may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God's comfort to us should not terminate with us. It does not end in us. It is meant then for it to be flowed out through us to others experiencing similar hardships and circumstances in their lives. As God comforts us, as he reassures us, as he strengthens us in our spirits, that then is, you know, God intends for us to take those, those, those experiences of God, those, those truths of God, and pass them on to those people around about us. That's why God's placed us in community, folks. Because we're not islands. We are meant to help each other. We are meant to draw together. We are meant to to encourage and help one another to walk this life of faith in this world. The person who's truly experienced a particular hardship or affliction and who's experienced the comfort of God is able then to, to, to minister a lot more effectively to someone who is going through similar kind of circumstances. Having journeyed through burnout a couple of years ago and experiencing God's comfort in that through the, the, the support of, of various people that God brought into my life at that stage, of, of seeing God's word and promises you know, written in his word and meditating on those, of, 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 of experiencing you know, God's healing and, and, and restoration in my own life. It enabled me then to, to have a closer relationship with God, a richer, deeper sense of his grace, but then it enabled me to actually speak into the lives of, of a couple of other people, especially who were going through... Ex- Almost identical experiences in their lives. A couple of other pastors. 
and the, the deep waters that God may have you in right now, God may be wanting to use that particular circumstance, those particular situations, to, in order just not just to minister into your life and into your heart, but God actually might be preparing you in order to be able to then speak into the life of someone else, whether it be here in this congregation or whether it be outside of these walls. God wants to use you. Doesn't that excite you? He wants to use you to be that comfort. Well, Paul uses his own example in verses 6 and 7. You know, Paul had undergone a lot of hardship. He'd undergone a lot of hardship in, uh, in bringing the gospel to the Corinthians. We see that in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 7. But the hardship that Paul had actually brought, you know, in, in, sorry, that he'd endured in bringing the gospel to the Corinthians actually resulted in the Corinthians' comfort and their salvation. That Paul endured a lot of opposition and a lot of hardship in, in actually coming into this, into this area and preaching and proclaiming the word of God. But as he did that, as he was obedient to the word of God, as he was obedient to the command of God, God used him to actually bring, you know, to, as he pre- preached the gospels, people came to faith. And then the Corinthians were able to sort of see Paul's example and see, wow, God used Paul in the midst of, of what he went through and that can actually then be, you know, inspire us to actually ourselves to patiently endure through our sufferings that God might use us as well. He says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, that comfort coming from, you know, Paul sees that, you know, the Corinthians coming to a saving faith, growing in their, in their love and in their trust for God. He says, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So said that the fact that God had brought some people to faith through his ministry really was a great consolation to Paul. And so his sufferings then were were definitely worth going through in order to see that fruit of his ministry. And the Corinthians, in seeing Paul's example, are then able to see how God can bring good out of bad. And this then helps them to endure, which is also to their benefit and encouragement as they grow in their faith and their trust of God. Can you see how God sort of just continually sort of just works it around and around and around this kind of circular thing? How, you know, God's comfort comes to Paul, who then, you know, in his hardship, he then comforts the Corinthians, you know, and, and they see Paul's hardship and they experience hardship as they come to faith in God, but they see Paul's example and they're encouraged by that and God comforts them too and they continue to comfort one another. It's just this amazing work of God. Amazing work of God's grace. And God uses our suffering in order to equip us for his service. But then God, through our suffering, God points, uses it to point us to beyond our own inadequacy to his all-sufficiency. We see that in verses 8 to 11 this morning. Again, Paul recounts a time of personal intense affliction. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers. In other words, know this. We do not want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, a little bit unsure as to what Paul is actually, what experience he's actually talking about here. 
But it was an incredibly burdening experience for them. Some commentators think it's what occurred to him in Ephesus. And we can read about that in Acts chapter 19 where you know, this crowd basically turned on Paul. But regardless of whatever circumstance it was, we know that it was incredibly severe. And he points out the degree to which this affliction affected him and his fellow workers. It says it, that weighed so heavily upon them that it pushed them beyond their limits. That it crushed them, that they did not know how on earth they were going to be able to cope in that situation. That their suffering was so overwhelming that it left them to the point of absolute despair. Have you ever come to that kind of point in your life? Some of you have, I know. You know what these kind of child match, these burdens can weigh us down and seem to crush us so incredibly that we wonder how on earth we are ever, ever, ever going to get through to the other side. Are we ever going to come out of this? Paul himself thought, oh, that's it, we're over, we're dead. But even though he thought they were dead, he had confidence in God who is the one who can raise the dead. God had a confidence, Paul had a confidence in God, the one who can raise the dead. And he says that God actually delivered them from that situation. He was the only one that was able to, by the way. God delivered them. And that led Paul to realise that if God could deliver them from that situation, then he could deliver them from any situation, and he would. In fact, he goes on to say that... Um, that that um, he delivered us from such a deadly peril in verse 10 and he will deliver us. In other words, that's a hope looking towards the future that God will indeed, if he delivered us from this situation, he can deliver us from further situations in the future. Paul's hope was anchored completely in God and he was confident that God's power would deliver them again and again and again. And as I look back on my own life and times of, of fairly intense difficulty, I can confidently say that God has delivered me. I wouldn't be standing here this morning if, if God hadn't. And you wouldn't be sitting there today if God hadn't delivered you from your troubles and your trials and your hardships and your afflictions so far in your life. You wouldn't be sitting here today if he hadn't have done that. And I know and I have confidence that whatever trials and hardships that I may face in the future, I'm with Paul and I know that God can and will deliver me from them. But even if those hardships and trials were to indeed to take my life, I still am confident that God will deliver me into his eternal presence because of what Jesus has done for me. And so I can set my hope on God because I can't lose. And neither can you. If we set our hope on God, no matter, God will deliver us from trials. But even if he doesn't deliver us from the earthly trials, he will indeed deliver us into his eternal glorious kingdom where we'll live for him forever and ever and ever. That deserves an amen, don't you think? Amen. So this morning, what is your hope set on? God, good on you. Amen. Amen. Folks, as believers, we can be guaranteed of trials in our lives. We can be guaranteed. John 16, 33 says, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. 
But in these times, God is the father of compassion and he's the God of all comfort. And he is able and most abundantly able to to comfort us in all our afflictions. And as the people of God, we're able to participate in this gracious work of God through prayer. We can uphold one another. We can get alongside each other and we can pray for them. And then we can see God at work in that person's life. And together we can praise God and glorify God that he is indeed the God of all comfort, the God of mercy and compassion. I don't know about you, but I get so thrilled when I can actually you know, hear about a person's story and I can be praying with them and, and together with them and we together we see God at work in, the, in that person's life and he just, he just transforms their circumstances or he gives them that, that ability to endure and they come out the other side and they're able to look back and see, wow, I could see God at work in that, even though it was hard, but this is how God has changed me. Doesn't that excite you? God calls us to participate in that gracious work with him through prayer. So please don't see prayer as being a last resort. Never see prayer as being a last resort, but indeed see prayer as as one of the powerful tools that God equips us with in this life as his believers in order to sustain us and to fortify us and to help us in in this life. Great hearts can only be made by great troubles. God wants to widen our hearts today, folks. He wants to take you into places where you are out of your depth. He wants to take you into places where you will be beyond your limits. But in those places, you will find that you will experience in a deeper way, in no other way, God's compassion and comfort so that your confidence in him is strengthened where you discover in richer ways his power and his sufficiency to deliver you, where your hope in him will be broadened and where he equips you to be a comfort and blessing to others in order that you too and all of us together can join with the Apostle Paul in saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are indeed the one who is not just a God who is characterised by being the God of mercy and compassion and comfort, but that these things actually find their source in you. That God, God, these things actually come from you. And that in the midst of our hardship and our affliction, particularly in light of living our lives for Jesus Christ in obedience to him and to his word, As we experience these afflictions, Lord, we can be assured that your mercy and your comfort and your compassion will indeed flood over us. Whether it be through that inner working of your spirit speaking to our hearts, whether it be through the the wonderful things we read in your word, the promises that are contained in it, or whether it be that you bring someone or others alongside us to to walk that journey with us who have have perhaps already been there and experienced that comfort themselves. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is moved in his spirit by our predicaments, by our situations, by our circumstances, because we are indeed your children and you love us. 
And we pray that as we, as we endure these times in our lives, that as your comfort comes and meets us at our deepest need, that, Father, we will continue to put our hope and our trust in you and you alone, that our confidence in you will be unshaken, that we will be unbending in our resolve to live for you. But not, not that that's our own strength, but the strength that you give us. We want to thank you and praise you. We want to bless you this morning. And ask, Lord, that you continue to go with us, to comfort us, Lord, that we might be a comfort to others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Janine.